Okay, now for our sermon for the day, Mr. Steve Andrews. I'm still dancing the la that last song, so if I'm up here dancing around, you'll know what to do. <laughs> Force fields. Oh, wow, that uh, great magic, magical uh, aurora that science fiction writers, people just love. Uh, you put a force field around uh, the, the Enterprise and nothing can get through. You know, laser beams and bombs and all of that, I, you just, I mean, the force fields are great, wonderful things. Uh, they don't exist, but <laughs> except in the minds of science fiction people and, uh, um, you know, others. But you have to ask the question, which I did to myself, and I'm going to ask it today. Is there a force field that we could tap into? Is there a force field that we could have a part in that would help us in times of those fiery missiles and things that come at us. Well, it's interesting the Bible does talk about that. And I've called my message the force field of blessings. Uh, there's an S on it because there's more than one. There's a lot of blessings. It's interesting that we find the first incidence of this in uh, Job, the first chapter, in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, as we go through this message today, I want you to understand that there are also conditions to this force field that we receive. It's a powerful force field, but there are conditions that go along with it. I'm skipping down to to verse 8, everybody knows this story and understands, uh, you know, that they all came, all the angels and Satan came before God. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? Well, <laughs> oh. you know, Satan has always got an answer. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you made a, have not you made a hedge about him? And that hedge is the word barrier. He's got a force field around him. He's got a force field around him. And about his house and about all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. There's the keys to that force field. You and I all have a potential for tapping into as we can be blessed by God. And it wasn't until God allowed those blessings to be taken away, slowly but surely taken away, that Satan was able to inch in and he could not do anything to Job until God took that barrier, that hedge away, that force field away from Job. 
So we can tap into that force field through the blessings that God gives us. And the Bible is full of information about those wonderful blessings that we, we can have. And of course, I grew up in the church, not really grew up in it, but I, I feel sometimes it was my beginning in life uh, because everything up to that point, just like the, mess, the songs that we've been singing, Oh Happy Day, that time in which God called me out of this world, that's the beginning of my life. And I remember one song that always uh, kept coming up time after time after time. We don't have it in our songbook. But it was just ingrained in my mind. And Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And every time that I had a trial or tribulation or something that would come up into my, into my, uh, my life, this one would come into my head. Blessed is that man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaves also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Those are wonderful promises and blessings that God will give us. And that is a future promise. A future promise that we shall continue on. Trees planted by that river. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We look at all the different things that are in that verse there. We don't walk with the ungodly. We live righteously. We live under the law of God. All of those things are blessings in our life. Psalm 119, in verse 1 of Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. So you're blessed when you walk in the law of the Lord, when you understand the law of God. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. They are a part of his calling, his life that he has set before them as Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Psalm 128, I like this one too, as uh, we have uh, many blessings. Bless is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. For you shall eat the labor of your hands, and happy shall you be, and, shall be, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of your house, your children, all like olive plants, round about your table. Behold, that thus, behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. All of these things are building. If you put these into practice, God builds a hedge around you. That force field, that hedge around you. The Lord shall bless you out of Zion, and you shall see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yea, you shall see your children's children and peace upon Israel. 
interesting. I, I look at that as completely into the kingdom. Those who are truly blessed to be the sons of God in the kingdom will see their children's children and their children in the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, out of Zion. Tremendous blessing. You know, our children are also protected. It's interesting that the Bible that talks about this protection. And, and Jesus was, this example in, Ma in Mark, the 10th chapter, of Jesus blessing them. I, I, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I was, before the message here, let's mark, uh, turn to Mark, the 10th chapter, while I, kind of, if I can find it in here. Um, it was interesting the first time that, that I had the opportunity to participate in, in the, the blessing of the little children. It, it really made me very nervous. <laughs> and the reason why is I, I got to think, this is, this is what Jesus did, you know. Who am I to ask this, this blessing? And yet God, the Bible says, and Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so all these examples of Jesus of where he did things, we are to do those too. We are to reach out. And it was such a beautiful thing here that Jesus did. That he reached out and blessed these little children. In verse 13, and they brought young children to him. And, you know, we've had <laughs> older children too. And yet I think they also need God's blessing. Sometimes maybe the year has been very difficult for them. And it's nice to have them come up and we, we ask blessings for them also. They brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. They thought, oh, you know, we only need adults up here today. We don't need these children. And Jesus rebuked them. He was very indignant about this whole thing. He said, allow the little children to come to me. Uh, and when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. In other words, he was indignant and said to them, Allow the little children to come to me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. It's interesting. Um, we've got a couple more who've been walking around as members in stealth in our church. <laughs> but one of these days, you're going to hear them. And you won't be able to get away from hearing them. And there'll be two of them, one boy and one girl. And they shall arrive, and I shall look forward, I hope, to at least be able to bless one or two of them, maybe both of them, and to ask God to bless them. As Jesus, he said, Fairly I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God is a little child, he shall not enter therein. He took them up in his arms, and he puts his hands upon them, and he blessed them. So the little children were blessed by Jesus. And we should make it in this congregation so that the, the, they are, that they feel that Jesus is present here. And that they're welcome. <laughs> 
as little children, as uh, little older children, as teenagers, and as adults, that when they walk in the door, that Jesus is favoring them in his presence. It's also interesting that Paul said that children who haven't been baptized yet receive protection. And he was talking about it in a, in a very difficult situation. But encouched in this was a blessing on those children in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, in verse 14. And I'm just going to read just that one verse. This has to do with believing and unbelieving mates. But I want to, to really just focus on the one area. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. So that means that the baptized, sanctified, set apart brethren who have children, their children are holy. They're holy to God. They are a blessing from God. They've been blessed. In fact, most of our young children in here have been blessed, either at the feast or once a year when we have it here. And it's been a tradition in the church for a very, very long time. And it's a wonderful tradition. And it's a wonderful thing to ask God to bless our little children. And we hope we can continue to love them and bless them and encourage them guide them and lead them in this congregation. It's interesting that not all blessings are roses and sweet dreams because Jesus says there's other things that can come into to our life and yet they are still blessings. Let's go back to Matthew the fifth chapter as we look at this because Jesus gives us, well he gave his disciples these and since we are his disciples and we walk in his way. These are for us. Because he opened his mouth in verse 2 and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I mourn for our, our nation. I mourn for the morality that's being destroyed in our nation all the different things that are happening in this country. And sorrow. Blessed are the meek, those that are gentle, mild, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Our heart and our mind and our desires should be for the righteousness of God. That commandments, laws, Statutes, judgments, his way should be a part of our life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. All of these are blessings that can be a part of our life. That Jesus taught his disciples. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That might be a study all into itself. How do I become so pure of heart? And yet I know that, I, that in me is no good thing, as Paul said. 
I want to see God. I want to, I want to see the glorified Christ. I want to be glorified. I want all of us in this room to be glorified in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Someday we will head the effort to destroy all war-making implements. We will not be teaching at any university how to kill one another in a more effective way. It just isn't going to happen in the kingdom of God. We will teach peace. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now here's where the rose bed has thorns. Because sometime, maybe even in the near future, we may have persecution. Now, I've heard about this for a very long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, God has, been, has blessed this nation and we have had freedom. But it seems like that those freedoms are slowly but surely being eroded away. And unfortunately, um, part of that erosion is towards the Christian faith. And I know that um, the Bible, what the Bible says is true and says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The day is coming when that might happen. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And then he goes on to talk about how we are the salt and how we are the light. And I thought that was just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the message today. A light set upon a hill cannot be hid. I always like to put the, the bad part in the middle. <laughs> I don't like to end with, with things that are, uh, you know, sometimes hard to, to talk about and, and difficult to say because I want to, that to, to, to just be something that we just we bring out because it's necessary. And one of those things that's, that I want to talk about is stepping outside of, of the barrier. Because we can do that. We can stop, we can step outside of that, those blessings. We can step out of that wonderful force field that's around us. We can allow the world to encroach upon our life we can allow certain things to happen in our own personal life that allows that force field to be taken away from us. Or we allow it to drop. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, we find some things that God hates and that would probably be those things that would cause that barrier to be dropped. It begins in verse, um, verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. So whenever we read those, we have to, we have to, take, we have to take stock of our own selves. We have to take, take stock of, of, you know, things that, um, that have happened in our life and understand, is it, have, has, 
has something happened that has taken us outside of that protective blessing barrier? A proud look, verse 17, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And it's interesting today, there's so much things going on. Uh, people hitting other people and knocking them down just for a game. It's hard for me to understand how the mindset of people. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. See, that's where that comes from. That's a wicked imagination. We just go around, we'll find somebody that's got their back to us, and we're going to go hit them just as hard as we can and see if we can knock them out. Well, they've knocked them out and killed them. That's a wicked imagination. That's horrid. Some of that has come off of the thing that is really very nice in one way and very wicked in another, and that's the Internet. And sometimes we get on that machine and we do things that we shouldn't do. And that leads to those wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies and he that sows discord among brethren. An interesting perspective. In a time far, far away and long, long ago, <laughs> because it seems like that, there was an individual, actually there was a family, who um, was a part of another organization or a church, and the pastor of that church used the Passover, one of the most the holiest time, to rail against those that he had put out of the congregation. I thought that was pretty low. And, uh, you know, it was a way of continuing to sow discord among the brethren at that particular time. And it was a very difficult thing for that family. And then that same pastor used a uh, restaurant called Denny's to uh, try to separate that family. And uh, unsuccessfully, of course, thankfully. Um, he used accusations and things that was going to, to separate a husband and a wife and a family. And that was not going to go over. And thankfully, we found a beautiful and wonderful home. And it was here. Loving, kind, considerate people. Because that was us. We're thankful that it's been almost 30 years now. It's hard to believe that, and that it's been that long, 30 years since then. But sometimes those things uh, need to be thought about, talked about a little bit, just so that they, they don't they don't arise again. There's another thing that that always crops up that we always need to be cognizant of, and that's evil that comes into the congregation that can also separate and hurt the congregation. Paul talked about this during the, which is interesting, during the days of unleavened bread, about purging that old leaven out. Because there were certain ones, um, a man, 
who had a problem and the congregation wasn't taking care of it. And he said, your glory is not good in verse 6. I'm not going to read all of this. I, I was going to read all 11 verses, but I, I think that most of us understand what was going on and there was a very, a very bad situation. And Paul told them to deliver that one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved, verse 5. And then he said in verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole love. And that's the way it is with evil. When it does pervade inside of the congregation, it can destroy it. And it's very sad and it's a very difficult thing. And it needs to be, um, you know, taken care of very quickly or it can be a cancer with inside of the congregation. So, and that's also to protect our children and to protect one another. We live in a society in which non-discrimination has become a part of our thinking. In, in part, it's good because we don't discriminate against color, religion, or it can be, you know, they're male and female in the workplace. But it has become a situation in which discrimination against those things that are wicked and evil begin to become more and more difficult in this society. There was an article, and I, for those of you who are very familiar with uh, Superman um, years ago, Superman had a ray that caused a character by the name of Bizarro to happen. <laughs> and those of you that were at the feast, you remember uh, me talking about Bizarro. Well, Bizarro is totally opposite to everything that Superman was uh, for. And we live today in the most bizarre world that has ever existed. There, there are so many things that people see that, are, that we see are evil and they say are good. And it's, it's Isaiah 5 to the T. Let's turn to Isaiah, the fifth chapter, because it is so important to understand that Isaiah, the fifth chapter, truly does exemplify and amplify the world that we live in. It is a world filled with the things that are written here in these four verses. Verse 20, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It is like everything is totally opposite out there. Where you would think the people that would have a moral understanding and a moral grounding, they have no morality at all anymore. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. This can be anything that causes men to get uh, lose their ability to function. Not just strong drink, but drugs and all of that. And we are becoming a society of drunken, drug um, perverted people. And how many wrecks, how many lives are, are sacrificed because people get out there and drive and kill one another because they're full of alcohol and drugs which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous 
from him, which is happening in the world and in this nation. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Those words are so true today. And Forty years ago when I heard those, at that time there seemed to be morality and things in the nation, although, we, you know, there was things that were happening, things that were changing in the world. And it's so true today. So the root shall be rottenness, their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. We can't build a monument to God anymore without the atheist building or the Satanist building a monument to Satan. We can't proclaim the word of God without someone coming around and saying, oh, that's discriminatory. You can't do that. Oh, you can't say that. One of these days, if we say it, we may be in jail over it. So the world has become a bizarro world. And we need to maintain that force field around us. It's thankful, thankfully the Bible tells us that that's truly possible. The church can maintain a force field around it through 1 John, the fourth chapter. Here's how it's done. Here's how it's done. The best formula. I called it the best formula. The best formula for putting a wonderful force field around us. A force field of love. It's the greatest force field that there is. Beloved, verse 7, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows of God. So this is one of the greatest force fields there is. And I apologize, I didn't see any little, little thing up here, but I'll, uh, I'll get by. <laughs> um, he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. So what is love? Uh, and we find that in that Paul kind of amplifies that in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, which is the love chapter. And he says, if I, if, you know, if I do all these things and I bestow all of this on to, to the world, in verse 4 he says, charity suffers long. All of that prophets nothing, but charity suffers long. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunts not itself and is not puffed up. Does not behave, its, behave itself unseemly. Seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Thy word is truth. We rejoice in the word of God because it gives us instruction. It gives us truth. It gives us direction. And it helps us to understand the blessing that we have and that force field or hedge that's around us. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. In other words, love never fails. It's a, it's a vital, important part of our Christian makeup that we have love for one another. Back to 
First uh, John, the fourth chapter. He that loves, he that loves not knows not God. Uh, not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. These words are so important, and are in a, a staple, or sta- they establish our congregation, and they help us to understand that Christ was sacrificed for each and every one, and not only for us, but for the whole world. Here is, is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to, to be a propitiation, propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. A command. You know, I think these words were so inspired by God, by Christ, that John was just, he just was overwhelmed as he wrote these words down. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. That spirit is what is that force field, that power that keeps Satan out, that keeps Satan out, that keeps Satan away from us. We're going to talk about that here in a minute on an individual basis, how that, how that works. And verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoso, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in, in God and God in him. Herein is our love made, manif- made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, see, this is the problem. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he that loves not his brother whom he's seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? This commandment I have, we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. So with the love of God in our hearts, we should love one another, treat one another with love and respect, you know, sometimes things come up, and they're, they're, they're difficult to, to get through. They're, they're, you know, we're human beings, and we have human being um, frailties and human being um, proclivities, and sometimes our human nature comes out, and it's just difficult to, to get through sometimes, even with brothers. But Jesus was very astute in this, very understanding of our weaknesses and the problems that we have. And he gave us a, a little um, formulation for working out things between brethren that need to be worked out. And it's a very easy thing to do. And it's found in Matthew, the, the uh, 18th chapter, beginning in verse 11. And I, I, I took in verse 11 because I think that this is what he was thinking about. 
he was thinking about the lost sheep. Someone that was lost. For the Son of Man has not come to save that. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 11. How think you if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and goes to the mountains and seeks that which has gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, you know, he says now moreover, that usually indicates that there's something connected together. If your brother shall trespass against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your, your, your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take, it, take with you one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be as a heathen man and a publican. So God, that Jesus through his... You know, through the spirit and the wisdom and uh, those things that he understood about human nature, he gave us formulations for for the for the for the congregation, for the internal workings of the congregation, and the love and concern for one another that we should have. Now, individually, individually, we also are commanded in in certain things to put that hedge about us. Let's go back to First John, the third chapter. First John 3, and beginning in verse 18. And verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So here is an individual, my little brethren, my brethren, individually, my little children. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assuage our, uh, assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have, we, then have we confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is so very important. I even, this Bible here, I haven't underlined much, but when it was read, and I can't remember who read it here, but when it's read, I, underli I underlined it because that is so important. Because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his commandment. And he that keeps his commandments dwell in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. That spirit is a powerful thing that we can tap. And it's a tremendous force field against the wiles of the devil. And this is my final scripture in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Which, uh, if you were thinking about this one, you would know that this is where it would have to go. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Build that force field through the 
through through the prayer and 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 God's holiness and his and his law and his truth and be strong in it put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil because that is who is shooting those laser beams at you those bombs that get through when we don't have that hedge about us when we step outside that hedge and allow the world to rule our life this is what happens the devil can get through for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness wickedness in high places and sometimes we can't even recognize it without God's Holy Spirit showing us that this is something that's totally evil and wicked we have to be in tune through God's Holy Spirit to see what's wicked and which, what's, you know, what's bad in this world and the darkness of this world. And so what we do is we take on, wherefore take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You may have to fight the battle all your life with this armor on. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. We will have to fight. I mean, it is a daily, base, daily thing that we're fighting. A lifetime thing that we're fighting. Your loins girt with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. It is the wicked one that throws these things at us. And he is the prince of the power of the air. So he's bending those who don't have God's spirit, that, that don't believe in God's word. He's bending and twisting their minds and their hearts against the truth. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is powerful, brethren. With the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, and the Father and the, the Son that dwell in us, and the Word that we carry, by the way, this is the sword Bible. <laughs> they wanted to call it that, so they called it the sword Bible. And I, I, I thought that was quite unique, or, or nice. Because that's what it is. It's a sword that we have. It's at our, our disposal all the time. It's like, you know, it's just right there. And if it's in your heart, if, you're, if you have these, the power of God in your heart, in your mind, then it's always there, fully there, fully ready to use against the powers of wickedness. You have to put it on, though, with prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And of course, for us as the ministry, Paul was asking for himself, but we always ask that you would help us in the ministry to pray for us, that we would have the strength, the presence of mind, the wisdom to know how to preach and teach and the things that we need to do that we might have utterance, that we might not be afraid to preach the gospel message in a world 
that hates the gospel message. Brethren, it's that Holy Spirit, the power of God, the blessings that he puts about us, that's the hedge. As with Job, Satan was not able to touch him. Understand that. When you have this power, when you have this force field around you, Satan is not able to win over you. You must always be close to God, though. You must always be thankful for the blessings that he provides. And pray that you will be ready that day to meet and see the Lord Jesus Christ in his throne to be a part of his kingdom and that glory that he has today and that we can have tomorrow.